Let's try it again. Everybody, everybody stayed up too late on New Year's Eve, didn't you? Uh, good morning. Oh, that's the way you dreamed in the morning. There you go. Amen. Well, you know, speaking of New Year's, we closed the books um, on 2022 here at Northside. Um, as we look at our, our missional giving, you will have given nearly $300,000 to missions this past year. Now, let me also give this caveat. That's what was accounted for, meaning this, that it went out under that missions designation. Certainly far more than that given throughout the ministries of our church, as well as directly from you to other uh, mission organizations. But to give nearly $300,000 again this year, which I also said this same thing last year, and look forward to saying that and even more next year. But thank you so much for being such a giving, uh, missional church here at Northside. You know, it's past Sunday. For those of you who were here, that was Christmas Sunday. Uh, we had a single gathering of everybody. Had a great turnout for that, by the way. And that was such a special service, wasn't it? Uh, for those that were here, I mean, it, it, I heard that from so many people, and it was just such a special day for us to gather. Our theme uh, for Christmas Sunday was God's greatest gift, or just simply the greatest gift. And when I began to think about that, I talked about a lot of different things, and we poked some fun at some gifts of the past. But as I was preparing for this week, I began to still kind of have that in my mind a little bit. I began to think about a common gift, a common gift that I believe uh, most adults receive throughout the Christmas season and holidays. Certainly, I did, right? And that was the gift of extra weight. Can I get an amen? Huh? I mean, we, we, we gorge it out right through the holidays, and I think a common gift we all shared in was receiving some excess baggage, if you will, right? And so because of that, I think we all share a similar resolution now, too. We're all saying the same thing. Get the cookies out of the house, right? Uh, we have got to have a resolution to, to lose this gift that we received over the holidays. Amen? Oh, nobody? Only the brambles? Amen? Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. A couple of you, right? Um, well, resolutions are simply that idea, if you will, that, that resolve that you have, that, that resolute uh, to either change something uh, or often to begin something, right? Something new. But in order to be successful at your resolution, you have to set goals, don't you? You have to set some, some goals, some, some, some priorities, if you will, in order to be successful. And I believe it's a great opportunity for us today for us to look at that uh, as a church, what are our spiritual goals, or a better way to say it, our spiritual commitments for this new year. And so with that said, then, I want to ask you to open your Bibles, or you can open the church app, and the text is there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to be this morning in verses 24 through 27. As you find it there, this is Paul's letter, you may recall, to the church at Corinth. He was not at Corinth at the time. Yeah, he was likely writing from Ephesus when he wrote this letter. But sending into this church who had well, they had kind of gotten out of whack a little bit. You remember in our study, in both in Acts and in 1 Corinthians, we read through the, the New Testament together this past year. And the church was just was getting a little misguided. And so he's writing this letter somewhat of encouragement and, and, and somewhat of discipline as well to the church. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 24, Paul writes this, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, 
talking about believers. Remember, he's writing to the church. We, an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, what you need to understand, Corinth, this, this place that he was writing this letter to, the church that was established there, Corinth was, was really big into sports. I mean, they were, you know, they kind of like Middle Tennessee, right? They were, they were very big into sports. In fact, they even had their own Olympics, if you will. Theirs were every two years, and they were known as the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games. You can look that up later. But the reason they were called the Isthmian Games, because you may recall from our study in Acts, Corinth was located on a, an isthmus. You remember that? An isthmus simply means it's a, a, a small stretch of land. It has uh, larger uh, land masses on either end, and then on either side, of course, uh, large bodies of water. And that was true for Corinth. I believe Corinth was only about three miles at its widest point. And so they were this, known as this isthmus, and because of that, there was a lot of people that lived there. It was a high population, uh, a lot of commerce that went through there, and we looked at that in the past. And they were very big into sports, and so they would have these isthmus games or the, the, the Isthmian games, if you will. And during this time, athletes would participate in, in much like what we see today. They had foot races, wrestling, God's greatest sport, right? Uh, boxing, throwing the discus and the javelin. They had the long jump, as you would assume. And of course, for this time, they also participated in chariot races. But additionally, two other sports were poetry reading and singing. You heard me right. Singing and poetry reading was, was part of the Isthmian Games. In fact, in those events, not only men, but women also participated even at this early date. And so, so Paul, understanding uh, kind of what makes this, this church, if you will, the, these people, kind of makes them tick, what they get excited about, he leans into that love they have for sporting events and draws in this parallel to the Christian life. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. He opens up and he says... When you run, you run what? To win the prize, right? You, you don't just go for it. Some of y'all just go for a run, right? I was talking with someone recently. You see me running, pick me up. Something's chasing me, right? You know, like, you don't just, just go for a run. And so Paul says, hey, run to win the prize. Now, when he talks about running, that, that's not the, the motion of running. But as he draws this parallel, what he's talking about is the motivation, right? Be driven to win. You may recall um, in the 1996 Olympics, Nike came out with a slogan that said this, you don't win the silver medal. Y'all remember it? You lose the gold medal. You remember that? They took a little bit of heat from that. But, but, but that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, hey, go for the gold, right? Go to win. Right? There was another great slogan. Uh, Vince Lombardi gets all the credit for it, although Henry Russell first spoke it was first recorded by him but it but it's but it's Lombardi's one of his greatest quotes right winning isn't everything it's the only thing right and Paul who preceded all of them basically that's what he's saying listen if you're going to do it do it to win now what you need to also understand about these Isthmian games they didn't have first second and third there wasn't gold silver and bronze all they had was the winner Everyone else was a loser. Right? You only had the winner. That's it. That's all. 
And the winner here received a crown. But the crown that he talks about, which is perishable, it's not like the, the olive branch crown that we often see with the, the Olympic Games. They, even, they, they still uh, bear hom pay homage to that today, which the, the olive branch actually symbolizes a success and, and vitality and youthfulness. But at the Isthmian Games, the wreath that the winner got for it, that crown was a crown of celery. Isn't that strange? It was actually dried celery, but a crown of celery. And the reason for this is that it, the games were originally uh, called the funeral games because it was for the Greek god, Palaemon, and celery at that time. It didn't look like the celery that we have today. Celery was kind of a, a, a wild, it just kind of grew wild in that region. And the celery was used for funerals for two reasons. It had a very bright green color. And it also had these little white flowers all over the top of it, and they were very floral. So it was a, it was a really strong perfume to the celery in this day. So they would place them when someone was dying, and certainly at funerals when someone has died, uh, had died, as they didn't, weren't able to prep the bodies like we do today, there would often be an aroma. I remember when, when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, he said, it stinketh, right? Uh, and so they would put out all of this celery because it would literally mask the smell that the body was giving off. And so that's what they received was this, not an olive branch wreath, but a celery wreath. And so Paul's saying, he's saying, listen, uh, don't be satisfied with just being in the event. Don't be satisfied with just being called an athlete, but hey, listen, Go at it for that wreath. Go for the celery. Doesn't that seem weird, right? Uh, maybe that's why I should get a t-shirt and only we would know what it means, right? Go for the celery, right? Like, I think that'd be great. Not in my notes, but I, I have to remember to do that. Okay, um, let's get back into our notes, all right? That's what we say, hey, don't be satisfied with just being there. Don't, don't be satisfied with, for us today, being on the team. Don't be satisfied with getting a jersey. You know, so many people, I just want the, I just want the swag, right? Uh, don't be satisfied with being on the bench. He says, listen, man, get in the game, be a starter, and win. Don't be satisfied until or unless you win. Hey, listen, parents, when our kids are involved in extracurricular activities, it costs us, doesn't it? It costs us time. It costs us money. Can I get an Amen. I thought I'd get more on that. I got to be real with you, okay? Uh, uh, it costs us a lot, doesn't it? Right? And we don't give all of those resources, all of our time and, and all of our money. We don't give all of that just so our child can do the same thing we're doing and that's watch others compete, right? We do it because we want to see them compete, right? We want to see them on the stage. We want to see them on the field. We want to see them on the court, right? That's why we do it. We sacrifice so that they can compete, so that they can have an opportunity to win. And you know, I think in church, too often, or too many Christians, maybe a better way to say it, are just content to, to be on Team God. I made a choice. I made a decision. I got baptized. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just good with, with being on Team God. I, that's good enough for me, Right? Were you ever, let me, let me ask you this. I, uh, the, uh, Brandon that I baptized earlier, he's a, he's a baseball coach at uh, Oakland High School. Um, I may have some other coaches out there. I can't see real good. The, 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 the lights are bright. You ever, you ever been on a team or coached a team where one of the team, and one of the athletes, maybe you've just been on that team, uh, but their only role or responsibility was to get off the bus 
and stand on the sideline just to look intimidating? You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever had those plays? Hey, let me tell you, let me explain it this way. It's like that kid, he's seven foot tall, right? Hits his head on the rim, you know. Uh, uh, he's that kid, but he can't run. He can't dribble. Trips over his own feet or, or her, right? Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about? They look the part, but they just can't facilitate it. Or maybe in a football, it's that kid, man, just looks like he's chiseled out of stone, right? Just just looks and you put him on that sideline and other teams like, boy, I hope I don't line up against him. But the truth is, he can't run, he can't catch, he can't hit, he can't do anything except just stand there and look impressive. They never do anything to actually help the team. You know, in church, if we're not careful, we can fall into that mold. We, we can become that player. We look impressive. We're on the bus. We're on the sideline. We're there, right? I mean, that's, and that's better than some. Quite, quite honestly, it's, it's better than most. But what Paul says is, but don't live there. Don't be content with that. I mean, if you're going to be on Team God, be in it to win it. Amen? Yeah. Pitiful. Amen? Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, we're in this for a purpose. We have a mission to accomplish. Jesus left this earth, and he said, listen, now I give it to you. You go out and share the gospel. You go out and win someone to Christ. Amen? He continues on, verse 25. He says, now, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown. But we, again, remember, he's talking to believers. He's talking to the church at Corinth at that time, to us today. But we, an imperishable crown. Now, he starts out there, that, that word competes there. This is an interesting word. The Greek word uh, for competes is agonizomai. Agonizomai, right? And it's where we get our word today agonize or agony that's where that came from and what he's saying listen there's no such thing as a good athlete who doesn't understand a little bit of agony a good athlete uh, endures some suffering in their training right a good athlete will tell you that the, the, the hardest work is on the practice field right the hardest work is preparing for game day not the game itself and any good athlete will tell you that they're disciplined in that way. They endure the suffering. But to them, why do they put themselves through that? Because it's worth it. To go out there and win that game or win that medal or whatever the case is or win that trophy, it's worth it. They so want it, it's worth the agony. It's worth the self-punishment. It's worth it. And by the way, can I say this too? Winners don't quit. Winners don't give up. They don't care what COVID says. They don't care how hard it gets. Winners never give up. Winners never give in. Winners never quit. See, quitters come to a place where, yeah, I want to win. I want to be on the team. But it gets hard. In fact, it gets too hard. It gets too difficult. And they begin to tell themselves, I can't do this. Or ultimately, I don't want to do this. And what they're saying is, listen, the prize is no longer worth the agony. The effort is not worth the discipline it takes to get there. And so they quit. Can I tell you something? Listen, as a believer, Paul speaking into the life of this church and to us today, what he's saying, what I want you to hear is, listen, being a Christian isn't easy. We just read the New Testament. Who had an easy life once they got saved in the New Testament? Y'all got any names to throw out? I don't recall any. Will it be any different in 2023 today? 
Right? It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Man, I'm so proud of the knowns, but to make that decision, to make that first step, what's my prayer for them now? Hey, that, 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 that God would undergird you. Why? Because the enemy will attack even more when you make a decision of faith, when you follow through in obedience for Christ. It's not easy being a believer. For you to become a believer, it certainly wasn't easy for Christ to get you there. Amen? But as a believer, we know this. Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We have no excuse to quit. No excuse to give up. No excuse to give in. See, as a believer, the discipline, even the agony. Yes, as a believer, you may have times of agony. I've had times of agony of pain, of being distraught. And what Paul reminds us and what Jesus said, it's worth it. It's worth the agony. And he says, and keep this in mind, all that an athlete puts themselves through, it's for a crown of celery that will soon perish. Paul says, but, but we do it for an eternal crown. We do it for a crown that will never perish. We do it for a crown that is of the, the greatest value. Now, understand this too, the prize he's talking about here, when he, when he talks about the prize, what he's saying is that prize of personal salvation that leads to a desire to grow in our walk with the Lord so that we now want to bring someone else on that journey. It, it takes us from our personal salvation for that desire to see someone else saved through our life, allowing God to work through us. Do you know that's my prayer? Uh, nearly often when I pray, I say, Lord, Lord I want, especially when, I, when I'm studying, I say, God, I want to grow in my knowledge of you. I want to learn more about you today. And then as you give me that revelation, as, as I know more about you, now I want to bring some others on that journey. I want to learn something new so I can tell it to somebody else, teach it to someone else. I want to grow closer to you so I can help someone else get closer to you. That's the prize he's talking about. Your salvation, which leads to a life dedicated to seeing others saved. Verse 26 then, he says, so, so, so I compete. And I compete not as an, an aimless runner, just you know, out there running. Like we said, uh, well, nobody gets anything out of that. But instead, Paul says, I've got my eye on the finish line. And in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, he said, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, forgetting what is behind me, and reaching forward now to what lies ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul said, how do I do it? I'm not looking back. Don't you look back at 2022, good or bad. Don't you live on the good things that happen? Don't you dwell on the bad things that happen? He said, you just keep looking forward to what lies ahead. Looking forward to, 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 to new things that God can do in and through your life. He said, not only that, he said, I also, I don't act like a shadow boxer. You know, just out there beating in the wind. Like, that's not me. That's not, that's not how I prepare. It, it, what, what opponent is he talking about here? He's talking about him, himself. He said, I battle against self. I beat my own, notice he says, my body into submission. In Romans 7, Paul said, listen, I, my problem in life is this. I do the things I don't want to do. And I often find myself not doing the things that I know God wants me. To do, Paul says, I, I have to box myself. I have to beat this body into submission. 
And what you need to know, man, boxing in that day, it, it, it was brutal. <laughs> it was. And Paul said, I, I'm willing to put myself through the ringer. Verse 27, and he says, knowing that I, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. Now, now hear me well. When he talks about being disqualified, Paul's not saying uh, to our Arminian brothers and sisters that here you, you, I may lose my salvation. That's not all. His fear was that the Lord would not be able to use him in preaching the gospel to others. He was afraid he would mess up in such a way that, that he would forfeit his right to the pulpit. Paul said, I, I don't ever want to get there. He was afraid of being ashamed. We looked at the Bema Seat of Christ, how all believers would stand before the Lord right, to receive the reward for what they've done or to be acknowledged what they didn't do with opportunity yet. That's what he was afraid of. You remember 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. John will remain in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not be what? Ashamed about his coming. Because while you had the breath of life, you did all you could to win someone for Christ. And by the way, let me say this too. You can't separate the competitor in verse 25 with the discipline in 27. Successful people understand discipline. They do. And, and that's not true with sports. That's not just true with sports. That, that's in all areas of life. And it's certainly true in our spiritual life as well. Paul says, so I, I control my body. I control it. I, I don't allow myself to do the things that it naturally wants to do, but I put it under submission. You ever notice that he was talking about runners earlier? You ever notice how runners dress? I mean, just barely enough to cover the goods, right? I mean, they, they want as little bit of clothing as possible. And not only that, as tight as possible, right? They, they want not much on there and whatever's there as tight as it can get, right? And they're not doing that to, to flaunt themselves. Right? Why are they doing it? Men will shave their legs and everything else. Why? Because they don't want any drag. They don't want any loose clothing that may, they may get hung up on. And they, they don't want anything that would cause them to slow down. Let me ask you a question. As you consider your goal, your spiritual goal, your spiritual commitment, as you consider the prize that God has called you to, what are those things? What, what is your prize? What are you aiming at? What are you running for? What are your eyes focused on? Hey, listen, you ask an NFL player, hey, what's your goal for next season? What's the prize for you? They'll all tell you, I want to win the Super Bowl. I don't have a winning season. Not that I, I'll make the varsity. No, I want to win the Super Bowl. You ask an ML, MLB player, what are I want to win the World Series. You ask a gymnast, I want to win the gold medal at the Olympics. They know what the ultimate prize is, and they want to win it. Listen, what Paul's saying here is, if, if you ask him, I just want to win one more for Christ. What's my prize? To win someone else. For someone else through my ministry to find that same blessing of salvation that I found. What's my prize? To hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, listen, friends. What, what if in this new year, what if in 2023... Every morning when you woke up, you asked yourself the question, how can I glorify God today? What if you woke up every morning in 2023 and said, who can I share the gospel with today? As you consider that, I want to pull up an image. Sometimes an image is worth a thousand words. Uh, sometimes I'm guilty of doing both, but uh, I think there's an image there. There may not be. There it is. There we go. We got one. 
I want you to look at that for just a minute. I want to ask these questions. As you consider your New Year's, you consider your commitment to Christ, I want you to consider four things that change everything. First of all, what about your relationship with God? You know, if some of you, uh, maybe it's that salvation. Are you confident in your salvation? We, we use that word confident, and it doesn't mean you're confident in yourself. Like Paul, you're still going to make mistakes. You're going to have to beat yourself into submission. What you're saying, when I'm uh, confident in my salvation, I'm confident in Christ. I'm confident that Jesus means what he says when he says that I can receive salvation, that I can receive forgiveness of sin. I'm confident that he did everything on the cross for me. I'm confident in him. Maybe you, like you saw the Nolans this morning, need to make a commitment to believer's baptism. Maybe it's just that personal time of morning and evening prayer that you're not currently doing. You say, you know, that needs to be my commitment. Or maybe it's a, it's a devotional time. Man, my goodness, Corey spoke about the, these Genesis books we have. We're going to spend 24 plus weeks reading through Genesis together. Maybe it's just that commitment to sticking with that plan. Secondly, what about your community with fellow believers? You know, for some of you, maybe that's church membership. You, you've been coming for a long time. You feel like you're on the team, but you don't really have the jersey. You say, I want to make that next step. I want to be a member of the church. Or, or maybe for others, I'm not plugged into a connect group. Listen, I say all the time, if you've only got an hour to give on Sunday, give it in the hallway. Get in a connect group. Be with some other like-minded believers where you can grow in them and you can help them on their walk as well. But do you have a connect group? Maybe it's to be an accountability partner with someone. So an area in life you know you're struggling with and you just want to be held accountable or, or maybe even become a mentor to someone else. For spouses or for families, maybe it's praying together. You've not done that. Or what about your worship? You know, not, not just coming to church when it's convenient, but I'm going to be committed this year. I'm going to be every Sunday possible. I was talking with a shut-in recently who uh, lives in, in an assisted living and, and can't be here at church. And she just, in tears, said, I, I just miss being there. Oh, we can watch it online. We can do all these other things. But she said, David, I just miss being with believers. I want to tell you, sometimes you don't know what you've got until it's taken away. You have that, that, that time. That, 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 are you here on Sundays? Are you in that connect group? Do you have that commitment to worship? Do you have a ministry and a place to serve? Worship isn't singing. That's part of it. Well, we, we, we worship, we, we exalt the Lord, but we, but we also look to His Word. We, we study, we grow, we give, we serve. That's all part of our worship. And maybe it's your stewardship. You know, you're, you're going to file your tax return sometime between now and the end of March, hopefully, um, or middle of March. When you look at that, when you look at your tax return, would you say, yes, it's evident God has a priority in my life? Or would you say, you know, that's a priority I need to make is being a giver. I want to be part of that 300,000 that leaves this place to win people for the Lord next year. And finally, are you missional? Just being intentional with the gospel, right? Fulfilling that great commission both locally, nationally, internationally, but, but are you missional? We're going to have even new opportunities this year going to Mexico City and other places, but listen, you can go, you can give, you can pray. There's all kinds of ways to participate. But here's what I want you to understand as I close my first time this morning. You know, the, the average adult, I read, takes 22,000 breaths in a single day. 22,000 on average. That's 154,000 per week. You may tell you what you don't do. You don't wake up Monday morning or Sunday morning. <laughs> I've got a busy week. I just want to get them all in so I'll be ready for the rest of the week. 
That's not how it works, is it? You need those breaths. You need that oxygen every day, every moment of every day, right throughout the week, right? You wouldn't dare do that with breathing. And yet I think a lot of times that's how we want to treat our, our worship, our commitment to God. I, I'm going to show up Sundays when it's convenient, get all I can, and hope that I'm good for the week. What's your commitment today? Let's pray. Close your eyes. Let's bow our heads. This is your time. What is it God's speaking to you right now? What's he saying to, to your heart? What commitment does he desire of you? Will you respond to that? I was in a, with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want you right now to be praying. You know the voice of God. I was in a men's class just moments ago that was talking about hearing that voice. What's he saying? What's he asking of you? Father, may we, in this new year, in this new season, is committed to you as you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray.